draw your attention to the and in there you'll find Exodus 5.22, 6, 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to, to Exodus 5 or you can read out of the bulletin, but whenever you get there, please stand up as we read God's Word. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from, slave, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Please be seated. So, I think all of us have read Exodus. We know the, the story uh, very well. We've learned it from, uh, from when we were kids. Uh, but let me give you some context, because I know the Bible is a big book, and sometimes we could forget the details here and there. But, chapter 5, I read uh, just like the last verse of chapter 5, but verses 1 through 21, it, it basically chronicles the encounter that, that uh, Moses and Aaron had with Pharaoh. So as a reminder, right, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they have their message that, that, that the God gave Moses that he was supposed to let the people go, send them out into the wilderness for three days so they could worship the Lord and sacrifice and do all these things. And how does Pharaoh respond? He goes, well, I have no idea who this God is. I don't know who the Lord is. I've never heard of him. Um, and, and frankly, I'm not going to let you go three days into the wilderness to go worship this God. I don't even know who you're talking about. And, you know, honestly, your people are lazy. They're so lazy that they have too much time on their hands. They're distracted by all the things that you're telling them. They're lazy, so I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to teach them a really good lesson. You know, we always help them grab the straw so they can make their bricks. So I'll tell you what, this is what I'm going to do. Since they have too much time in their hands, we're not going to help them with the straw anymore. But let me tell you something. Those bricks, they still need to be made. And you better keep up with it because we're not going to help. And so, get out of here. Get back to work. Get your lazy people back to work. And so the Hebrew people, they scatter all over the land and what are they looking for? They're looking for the straw. They're, they're, they're over there gathering these things. And then, you know, they have to put the bricks together and make these things for the monuments, for the temples, and all these things that belong to the Egyptians. Well, sooner or later, they start falling behind. 
And so the Hebrew foremen that are in charge of these groups of people that gather the straw and make the bricks, they start getting beaten up by the Egyptians. They're getting beat up and beat up, and they're like, hey, you guys need to keep up with the tally of bricks. And so the foremen start complaining. I was like, what is going on here? So they go back to Pharaoh. They take the complaint to Pharaoh, and they say, hey, you know, we are working really hard out there to gather the bricks, to make all the, the straw, to make the bricks, and so on and so forth, and we're getting beat up. What is going on? And Pharaoh says, you know, you're talking to the wrong person. You need to go talk to Moses. He's the one that made this trouble for you. He came over here saying that you needed to go out and worship the Lord, who, by the way, I don't know who, it, who he is, to go out into the wilderness to worship. I have no idea. So you're talking to the wrong person. So go to Moses. So they walk out, and on their way out from seeing you know, Pharaoh, guess who they run into on their way to see Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron. And the foremen are fuming. I mean, they are livid. If you have your Bible open, if you don't, it's okay. But 521, uh, listen to what the foremen say to Moses and Aaron. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So what are they saying? They are livid. They are basically calling on God to punish Moses. We call on God to punish Moses. Moses, you have single-handedly, when they said that that you have made a stink and have put a sword in their hand to kill us, what they're saying is basically, Moses, you have single-handedly signed our death warrant. And if something happens to us, if if we get killed, because we're not keeping up with these bricks, uh, then the blood that that is shed is going to be on your hands. So thanks a lot, Moses. Thanks a lot for showing up. Thanks a lot for coming over here and trying to, to, to do something to make a difference. You made things worse for us. What could Moses say? Verse 22, what could Moses say? Well, if you, if you think about it for a second, Moses, commentators say are probably, he's probably 80 years old. You know, he was fine. He was in Midian and he was a shepherd and he was out there tending his sheep. And then all of a sudden he sees a burning bush and he goes to it. It's God. He calls him and he says, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to, to Pharaoh and I'm going to have you tell Pharaoh that, that my people need to be let go. And, and, I'm gonna, and, he, and God showed him some miraculous signs. He issues all these great promises to Moses that God is going to deliver them. And, and Moses is saying, you know what, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not equipped. I'm not confident. How do they know who, who you are? How do they know who I mean, they're going to want to kill me. I, I fled from Egypt because I, killed, I murdered someone. I murdered an Egyptian. Um, so I, besides, I don't know how to talk. I don't have a, I don't have, it's not easy for me. I stutter a lot, you know. And, and the Lord says, all right, it's okay. I'll, I'll, even, I'll even send Aaron for moral support to speak to you. And so this was supposed to be easy for, for, for Moses and Aaron. It was supposed to be easy. God said, okay, I will be with you and I will deliver them. I will be with you. Go, just go. So this was supposed to be easy for Moses. Think about that, right? He was supposed to show up and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is what the Lord says and give this message to Pharaoh and boom, they would be out of there in no time. But that's not what happened, right? No. It went completely the other way and things started falling apart very quickly. And so what can Moses say to these foremen? 
They're, acute, he, they're basically saying, you know what, our blood is in your hands and God's going to punish you for what you did. Thanks a lot. So in verse 22, Moses turns to God. He has no one else to turn to. He can't turn to Aaron. He can't go to the people. He can't go to Pharaoh. Who can he turn to? So he turns to God. And what he says is very interesting. He says two things. He accuses God of not keeping his word. And to top it all off, he says, you brought evil on these people. <laughs> listen, five, listen to 522 through 23. In, in these, um, I'm sorry, not 20. Yeah, 522 and 23. Oh, Lord. Then Moses turns to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this, to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. So I, I'm probably not doing, not saying it the way that he probably was saying it, but he was probably completely frustrated and you could hear his anger in his prayer. We see this word try, twice, right? The, the Lord, you've done evil to these people and he, Pharaoh, has, has brought and done evil to these people. So not only is Moses saying that they're getting evil from above, they're also getting, getting evil from below too. And so Moses is saying, why did you ever send me? Why? Is this why you sent me? So, so, that, so that we could bring evil upon these people? I told you to, t- to send someone else. That's what he, so, he told him over there at the burning bush. He says, oh Lord, please don't get upset with me. But can you send somebody else instead of me? And this is what he didn't want to be there to begin with. And, and, and he listened to, to God. And he t- to top it all off, he says, look, I didn't want to come here to begin with. And now this is happening and you haven't kept your promises to deliver your people. This has been a total and complete failure. I mean, he is leveling accusations against God. This prayer is straightforward. And to me, this sounds awfully familiar to a lot of the prayers that we find in the Psalms. There's a lot of prayers throughout the Bible. But frankly, people question God's goodness. People question God's existence. They question his love. They question his forgiveness. You know, I think that sometimes we think that if we, if we only had the right words, full of eloquent words and nice words when we pray that God's going to listen to us. And in reality, that's not the case. All throughout Scripture, in the Psalms, where are you, Lord? How long are you going to ignore me? How long will I have to deal with this person or with this, uh, this problem all alone? How long am I going to have to struggle with this addiction, with this mental illness? Well, all these things. You can put whatever you want in there. How long am I going to have to struggle with this for the rest of my life? Am I, am I going to have to be attacked constantly and ridiculed? I'm suffering here. What, what are you going to do about it, Lord? Why haven't you delivered me from where I am right now? And if you think about it, that's, that's similar to a prayer that Jesus Christ made right at the cross when he said, my God, my God, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much being crucified. Thank you. For... No, he said, why have you forsaken me? Christ felt the weight of our sin on him. And God, you know, we just sang that song. The Father turned his face away. And so he turns to the Lord in prayer and he says, why have you forsaken me? And so there's this interesting pattern in prayer that we read, especially in the Psalms, where they begin as complaints, right? They complain, there's a complaint. But then, 
halfway through the psalm, there's this interesting transition from a, a complaint to a, a, a remembrance of God's goodness, of his salvation, of his forgiveness, of his love. And in fact, most of these psalms reflect back to the Exodus and how God delivered his people from, from bondage, from, from slavery, delivered them with a strong and mighty hand where Pharaoh was practically kicking them out. Saying, I don't want you here. I don't want you and your God here. Go away. I mean, it was that powerful, that salvation. So they reflect. I mean, they start off with an honest prayer and an honest complaint to God and then a transition to remembering all the good things that God has done for his people. Psalm 13 is a good example. It's only maybe eight verses. If you get a minute to do that later or tonight, you'll, you'll read that. Where are you, Lord? You know, how long am I going to have to deal with this? And so it seems to me that God is more interested in our honesty and our forthrightness and your true emotions. He's more interested in you being honest with them instead of hiding behind eloquent and nice words and prayers because that doesn't make a difference. It's fake. Unless you're really good at that and you're being sincere, then God sees that too. But what I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't shy away from being honest with God because in reality, here's the truth. He's our Father. And He treats every one of you as dear children and He wants you to be honest with Him. I mean, how many parents in this, in this church would, would turn their children away if they were being honest with them? Or how many of us would turn someone that we love dearly, we'd turn them away because they were, being, they were honestly bringing their heart to us. They were bringing these painful things to us and, and, and showing them, showing all of their insecurity to you. How many of us would turn them away? None of us. We would accept it and listen. I mean, that's inherent to, to us, right? As, as people, we, we care. So I would venture to say that none of us would turn anybody away. So the lesson here is be honest in your prayers. You're not going to offend God. So let's look at how he responds to this prayer that Moses gives where he's basically accusing God of not keeping his word and bringing evil upon his people. Notice, though, what he doesn't say. And I think, you know, I've reacted this way with people, but when someone talks to me like that, he, well, God doesn't respond. He says, how dare you? He doesn't respond like this. How dare you talk to me like that? I am the God Almighty, the creator of all things. How, how dare you, Moses, talk to me like that? How dare you say these things to me? No. But instead, what he says is pretty remarkable. It's almost as if he completely overlooks what Moses and the accusations and all these things that he's saying. He goes to the heart of where Moses is. Now Listen. In verses six, I mean chapter six, all the way through verses uh, through verse eight is how the Lord responds to this honest prayer. Verse one. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Verse two. I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptian hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, 
And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So what is he basically saying? In those first few verses, he's basically saying that, you know what, Moses, you will see that with a strong hand, I will lovingly bring you into my presence and I will deliver you. God Almighty, El Shaddai, Yahweh, I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is he saying with these things? He's basically establishing who he is. He is saying, I am the eternal I am, the eternal God, the almighty El Shaddai, the the God of your fathers who made a covenant with your people that I will not break. I made a promise to Abraham and I will not break that. And I am keeping my word and I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people and I am going to deliver you. Do you understand that? What is the Lord doing? Why is he saying these things? Why is he repeating these things? Moses should know this, right? What the Lord is doing, he's reassuring Moses. And if you think about it, Moses is probably feeling fearful about the future. He's worried about his current circumstance and his emotional reaction and the way he accuses and talks to God exposes his insecurity inside. It's really an amazing assurance of God's reassurance of his protection and his love in a moment of intense insecurity for the people of Israel. And so what basically God is doing, the Lord Almighty, Lord, uh, the eternal I Am, is lifting Moses out of his current circumstance and, and breaking away these things in his eyes and taking him into the eternal plan of salvation of God. He's saying, you know, I know your, your people are, are, are being treated harshly. I know they're enslaved. But you're about to see what I'm going to do. And it's more than just what you're thinking right now. It's an eternal plan of salvation that I have for all of my people. And so he then goes on to to make seven proclamations. The Lord does. And some commentators say that this is basically the summary of the gospel in Exodus. So I'm going to go over those few things really quick. Verse, verse 5 through 8, real quick. I'm just going to repeat it again. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Let me stop real quick right there. I have heard the groaning of the people. He hears your prayers. If you're groaning, if you're happy, if you're sad, if you're upset, He hears you. And secondly, and I have remembered my covenant. Right? That word remember for me, it's like, oh, I forgot. I totally forgot. Uh, I'm sorry. But that's, that's impossible with God. That's impossible with God. Whenever God remembers, there's an action attached to that. So what does he do? What is the Lord? How is he remembering his covenant? How is he going to fulfill that covenant promise to Israel? Well, the answer is in the next verses, 6 through 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the, the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the promised land and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This has nothing to do with Israel. It has nothing to do with you or with me. This is completely and entirely and absolutely the work of God. Israel contributed nothing. They were a willing recipient. I wouldn't even say willing. They were a recipient of God's salvation, of his redemption, of his adoption. Israel contributed nothing to this. All they contributed was their, their constant desire to go back to slavery. We read that, right? Oh, things were better in Egypt. Oh, I could have had steak and lobster and fish. Instead, I'm out here eating wafers and chicken or whatever that bird was. I mean, there was a constant complaint to, to go back to slavery. And you know what? Isn't that true of all of us? There's the default set of every human heart is to go back to sin. We want to delight in sin. We want to accidentally fall into sin if it happens that way. Oh, wait, you know what? I, I don't know how I got here. I really don't. Or there's this constant struggle in your heart to say no to sin, but yet you want to go back to it. Or you, you, just, you get there right on the verge of doing something and, no, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it. That's, that's the default mode of every sinful heart. We, we want to go back to that. So it has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with God. So God has to be the one to redeem you of, every, of your debt of sin that you couldn't pay. He has to forgive you of those sins. And he's the one that's going to deliver you blameless into eternity and give the church as, as, a, as a gift, as the bride, right? As the prized possession to Christ. These seven proclamations is the gospel. There's no difference between what we read here in the Old Testament to what we read in the New Testament. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, chapter 1, 3 through 10 to kind of contrast and show you that the same things that we read in the Old Testament in Exodus is the same thing that we read in the New Testament. So bear with me. I'm sure you've read and heard this before, but it makes a difference. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Brothers and sisters, the same God who delivered the Israelites from bondage and slavery is the same God who delivers you and me from death and from sin. That's amazing, isn't it? That you contribute nothing to your salvation. In fact, our own nature causes us to complain, to not want good things sometimes. And what God is saying is that I want you, despite your circumstance, I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know what you're going through. Things may be fine or you may be in the thick of things. You may be having relational problems, work problems, whatever it is. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, what God is saying here, let me bring you up and lift your eyes into the eternal plan that I have for you. It's not your current circumstance. I I have delivered you from that. And I'll finish with this. If you don't remember anything else that I said, I want you to remember these few things. One, you can be honest with God. Bring your honest prayers to God. And be, and be, and be real with Him. And bring your heart to Him. He will listen. He will listen. He's your loving Father. And secondly, I just want to say these things to you that you have been predestined in love for adoptions as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed, forgiven, adopted, and you have been united in Christ. He is the one that brought you out of sin and death. He is the one that is delivering you. He is the one that has redeemed you. He is the one that has proclaimed to you that he is your God and you belong to him as his people and he will bring you blameless into eternity, into the promised land and he has united you to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what matters today. That's what you need to hear. That's what you need to be reminded of. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we're thankful that these truths are forever, that you are unchangeable, that you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, that you are the God of the living, not of the dead, that you have been the faithful one that have delivered your people, despite our circumstance, despite our pain, despite our sins, God, which are monumental. You sent your Son and you crucified him. And our sins were placed on him so that we may have life. I pray, God, that we would remember this, that we would know that we are loved and cared for and forgiven and adopted and redeemed and chosen in Jesus Christ. And that we are now united with the eternal I am, El Shaddai, the God, the Creator, our friend. I pray all this.